Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Deborah Klee is the award-winning author of page-turning, uplifting fiction. Deborah comes to us today from Essex Coast in England, where she loves to walk along the seacoast, where she collects acorns and seashells, but also stories. Deborah, thank you for being with me today at the Storyteller's Microphone. Thank you for inviting me, Grace. It's lovely to meet you again online. It's really a pleasure to have you. I'm so captivated by your themes and how you put such positivity out in the world, including starting with your website, which is Abra Cadebra. How did you come up with that? I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> well, it's a couple of things. One is when I was very young, there was a song out called Abra Dabra Cadebra. And I had a boyfriend who used to always sing Abra Cadebra. So Aww. it came instantly. But I chose it for my website because I believe that there is magic in storytelling. So it's about the magic of storytelling. Oh, I, I do. To sound very British, um, I think it's brilliant. Uh, and it's a, it's a memorable website. I'll never forget that your website is Abra Cadebra. <laughs> you have very significant themes in your books, and they're, they repeat themselves, but differently in each of them. And we'll talk about your books. But they're very much focused on friendship, community, and emotional courage. Would you start with maybe emotional courage? Yes. <laughs> my background, my career, I started out in my early days as an occupational therapist. And then I went into being a um, working in, I worked in health and social care all of my career. And towards the end of my career, working as a management consultant for the last 20 years, because I'm very old now, of course, <laughs> I was having to write domestic homicide reviews and serious case reviews. And that is when somebody dies as a result of abuse or neglect. So I was listening to families of people who had died tragically and hearing their stories. Um, I was also, through my career, listening to people who were experiencing hardship in terms of um, facing adversity. And I met so many courageous, I have to say women, because it whether it's because the women who would speak on behalf of the family or women were traditionally the ones taking the main weight of the care but I just met such amazing women who were everyday women doing the jobs being heroines really and being amongst us you would not know what some people are carrying emotionally so I was just absolutely inspired by their emotional courage and I always write happy endings for my protagonists now because I have had to write reports where the person I'm writing about has died and my reports had to be their voice. I had to listen to the family, get a sense of the person, and I'd be feeding back to health professionals about what went wrong in the care, the health, the social care, the police, all the different agencies. I'd put the picture together, which is a bit like writing a story because you get everybody's voice, you hear it all, you put it together, you structure it. And for me, it was always about seeing that the person who's died, their voice was heard and their personality came through. So I felt it as I wrote it, and they obviously never had a happy ending. So one, I find it very hard to read psychological thrillers where women are abused, um, tortured or killed. Um, 
I find it very distressing and I don't want to write about it. For me, that's not entertainment because I've had to write about real life. So emotional courage reflects and pays homage to the amazing people I have met in my career. And I think their voices are still in my head because they keep coming out in my stories. I'm probably getting towards the end of having to get that all out of me now. <laughs> it was a process. But what a fascinating way back into storytelling for you. I had no idea um, in preparing for today. I, I knew of your background in healthcare, but the fact that you were writing some horrific endings to mm. individuals um, indeed focuses on this emotional courage. So where do friendship and community then come into play? Yes, lighter side. Well, the other part of my career is I've done lots of work with communities. Um, I've done, I set up my own social enterprise with my partner, Mark Mordy. I'll give him a, a, a yell out there. Um, we set up a social enterprise called um, Vintage, which was about, um, the initial stood for things, but it's a little way back. But it was about um, working with people within their communities to build the community that they would want to make their world better, the place they would rather live. So we would look at all of the things that connected people within a community. And we would go in somewhere we didn't know anybody, we had no connection, and we'd walk the streets and we'd talk to people. And we would find out who are the key people within this community that hold it together. And it's not the people that you think it would be. It's not necessarily, it's, it's not the politician, it's not necessarily the, um, the people, you know, faith leaders. It will be, in one area, it was the man in the corner shop. In another, it was the fish and chip van which did its rounds. There are key people. If you think about your community, you'll think about people that you think, well, yes, the, these are the people that we think of, that we go to, who know everybody, what's happening and hold things together. So you get your key person and then you get all the organisations. So we would find out, you know, they go to the scouts and these schools and this club and the knitting group and the dog walkers and there's all the different groups in the community and all those communities they're all when you start to link them it's like building a web a spider web one one community could offer something another one would need something one person has something to offer another person needs it so you build up the community and i just became absolutely fascinated by communities because wherever you go there is always a community sometimes it's hidden for example in my book the borrowed boy I talk about hidden communities, um, some more hidden than others. Um, but everywhere you go, there's a community and it's completely different and unique for that area. And to go in and to discover that community for me is like unwrapping a gift. So, yeah, I feel passionately about community. What compelled you to do that community organizing work, if you will? Because I guess it was because I always through my career was... Um, talking to people and finding that they had things that they wanted in their life. And I could always say there were things that they could offer. I could always see people's strengths and the gifts they had to give. And then I could, I could see how I could, wanted to connect people. Say, well, you need this, I want this, and that person's got that. And I would see this magic happening. So I was kind of facilitating it. I mean, my background was an occupational therapist. So I was kind of facilitating that in my work. And I got to a point in my career where I was, um, I had connections with people who could really make things happen because I'd got quite a long way in my career. And I could also talk to people on the ground. And I wanted to use my power, if you like, and my knowledge and my skills to do good, to help 
make change and difference for people on the ground, but for them to be able to do it for themselves. So I was really looking at what I had to give and contributing that because we all have something to give. And the person who was the most disabled or socially deprived, who thought they had nothing, always had something to give. And it's when we give something, we feel valued and appreciated. So I just loved seeing people come to life when they saw that they had something of value to offer. Oh, that that perspective alone is a gift. <laughs> so, so last but not least in your trilogy of friendship, community and emotional courage, let's talk about friendship. Friendship, just because I love my friends. <laughs> I think just friends are so, so precious, aren't they? Especially female friends. Um, I've got friends recent in fact two weeks ago I met up with my old school friends who I we met each other in when we were well I should say 1972 we've known each other for all those years and we all got together and stayed together in a house and I thought what good choices I made then so I just love my girlfriends I love my friends so friendship is part of my life <laughs> well especially as we age I think um, the power of friendship particularly female friendships is uh, so incredibly formative in how we live our day-to-day -day lives. You obviously had a very busy career and you have not slowed down very much in your <laughs> retirement. I look at the body of your work. We'll talk about your books in just a moment, but you have a podcast, you do um, a castaway books, you do a blog. Why do you do all you do? Oh, I drive myself too hard. I drive myself crazy. <laughs> I don't know why I do all I do. I guess um, because it's all about marketing, because I want to get out and to meet people, you know, to introduce them to my books and wonderful opportunities like this. But it's more than that, because I think I always say to people, you know, marketing isn't about saying buy my books, buy my books. For me, it's about connecting with your readers. It's listening to them. It's finding them. It's hearing what they want to read. and making connections on an emotional level. So I think all the things I do, it's about connecting with other writers who in turn are readers. I guess, I guess networking is just very, very important to me because it, you can't achieve anything on your own. You only can do it together. And I've met so many amazing people through my podcasts, through my Friday Salon, which is a weekly tweet chat that's now been going over three years. So we have this every Friday where we chat. We've just started something else where we have um, a Zoom. We all get together and have a writing hour. So we meet each other on Zoom. We chat and support each other. Then we write for an hour and then we come back again. So I guess all the things I do are about networking and it's about the real um, making connections with people who initially intended um, to attract readers to make the connection, but I love people and I love love making the connections. And the more I do, the more the more it grows. And yeah, I mean, as well as all as that, I do lots of in person um, events locally as well. So I'm always meeting people. Well, <laughs> well, you are a quintessential networker, and your podcast you really focus on the psychological, the emotional, and the spiritual. Uh, how did you pick that as your focus? Because that's part of me and it always has been. Um, but in mostly, I mean, I, I was doing this because it's about um, the inner journey of the creative. And now this really came about that I wanted to share this because when I was trying to get published and I um, had my book, The Borrowed Boy, my debut, 
I had a top um, agent, literary agent, who was excited about my book, was putting it against to the top five and was so excited about this, you know, and I really, I've written my head, it was all about to happen. And then it came crashing down when it didn't happen for me. And then um, I had to find another agent. And even before that happened, at the beginning of that year, when it was the book was going out to um, publishers, I knew that I needed something to keep me grounded and sane throughout that process because it's an incredibly emotional, it's an emotional roller coaster, we all know. <laughs> and I really, really feel for authors, writers who haven't, um, who are just experiencing that because you really need to have um, this something some faith, some beliefs, some to hold you, you know, grounded and to help you through that process, emotional. So at that time, I thought, yes, I need something to ground me. It was coming up to Easter, it was Lent. And I thought, oh, I'm going to meditate every day in the lead up to Lent, because meditation is going to help me through this difficult year, challenging year. And I meditated every day for 40 days, and then for a year, and then for two years, then for three years. So I was meditating every day. And around that time, I started a blog. And my blog was really, as many blogs are, uh, me thinking through, going through my emotions and how I was feeling and, and trying to um, put it into words. And I found that lots of people resonated with people. And I got lots of people following that blog and felt, and I got lovely messages, how it's making real difference for them. And I did that for a fair while. And then I ran out of things that I wanted to say. And I wanted to talk to other people to hear about their emotional, psychological, spiritual journey of being a writer, which is where the Mindful Writer came from. And I feel that I absolutely love, I still listen to those podcasts because I find them uplifting, motivating, inspiring. And I think writers need that. All creatives need that because it's an incredibly you know, emotional journey. Um, and we're always going through it every stage we're at, even even my friend, who's a best-selling Times author, sold millions of copies. She too goes through these emotional traumas, you know, because it is—you put your heart and soul into it, and it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a very emotional time. So I think having something to ground you and keep you uplifted and positive is really important. And that's exactly what your books do: *The Borrowed Boy*, *Just Be*, *Forever Cruise*, *The Last Act*. Amazing. First of all, breadth of work. Um, so do you want to run us through those? Because each of them is different. They, we do. We, you've already done the spoiler. Yes, there's a happy ending. But <laughs> Always. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with a happy ending. So why don't you just walk us through, first of all, The Borrowed Boy, your debut. Okay. Well, I happen to have one here to show you my beautiful covers. Yes. But designed by Asia Blue, who's from New York, who's another person I met on the internet. So The Borrowed Boy was set in Jaywick Sands. And this story came to me because I had three different things I, would, I thought I wanted to write a story about. One was I saw a, a small child get separated from his mum on the tube. And it was a terrifying moment. We all held our breath, but she grabbed her child and pulled him off the tube. And I thought, phew. And I thought, what would happen? if they had got separated. So I had that one in my mind. And then there's a place near us called Jaywick Sands, which is um, an unusual area because it was I mean, years and years ago, just after the Second World War, I think it probably was, um, there was a scheme to create places where people could, families could go and have holidays. 
and people were allowed to build holiday homes from anything. There was no planning restrictions. You could build it from whatever you wanted to. And Fords um, had a, a factory or, you know, a, near us in, in the East End of London. So lots of Ford workers would use packing boxes and things to build these sort of chalets and houses. So it was kind of, um, it was, I called it in my thing, which sounds a bit rude, but the people there didn't actually mind it. A shanty town of displaced Londoners is how I described it. So these, at that time, in, the, in its heyday, it was a wonderful holiday resort. But then as time went on, all these other places around the country all closed down because they weren't working. But not Jaywick Sands, the fam, you know, people there were such a strong community, they wouldn't get rid of their chalets. And so it became a really run down area. So I was riding my bike down there and people coming out and looking at me. And it felt like, you know, you could sort of see these sort of... Um, the tumbleweed, you know, in the street and the people all watching and it just felt like you are not welcome here. But I know from people that have been moved out to social housing, they say they hated leaving Jaywick because that place was so such a tight community, such a happy place to live. They hated leaving it. Anyway, I wrote about the books, such, such a unique um, area. So I set this story about this lady who picks up this boy who's separated from his mum on the tube and takes him to Jaywick Sands. And it's not the way it remembered when she was um, young and she went there for holidays. But when I was reading this out at a live reading in Jaywick in a pub, my husband said, you can't read it out there. They, you know, he's thinking they'll lynch you. They can't read that in Jaywick. I was brave because I loved that community and I wrote about it with kindness. When I was reading out my chapter, the barmaid was watching me, everyone, and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, maybe I shouldn't read this. And, you know, when I finished it, three people were all saying, saying, can I buy it, can I buy it? But it wasn't that thing that really, really moved me was the barmaid came to me and she held my hand and she said, I've lived in Jaywick all of my life and you've described the Jaywick that I know and thank you. So I was so moved by that. I think that gave me, made me feel more validated than anything to have a local person say you've captured my community so oh, and, and that's what we want so we only have a very few minutes left just to be <laughs> forever cruise is the last act your latest book i think let's, let's go there i should tell you very quickly about my last the last act the last act <laughs> um that was the very first book i ever wrote when i didn't even know i could write a novel and it started because the um the tutor said write a story of five thousand words and i did and then she said actually that should, that could be a novel so i wrote that um as a novel but it didn't get published i got an agent who wanted me to publish it but when she sent a review and resubmit i thought oh that means it's rubbish i'll write another book <laughs> So 10 years later or something, I finally thought, no, this book's got to come out and be published. So I completely reworked it, but it shows how, much, how far I've come from when I started. So it's special to me. Oh, indeed. And your other books, one is about, uh, just, just Be is about really how we all have to adapt. Is that? Yes, that one's about um, a woman who brings in a homeless man to live in her home and she works in Harrods and he's on the street, and it's about the relationship between them. And um, yes, it's interesting because you think that she, he's the more disadvantaged than her, but actually it's more the other way around. <laughs> Deborah Klee, I am so happy that you joined me here and I got to tell part of your story on the Storyteller's Microphone. Thank you for being with me. Thank you, it's a real pleasure, Grace.
This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers with Grace Savin and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Deborah Klee, thank you for being with me. Thank you. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.